There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is put an end to my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. I'm going to play football. coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Ladies and gentlemen of Steeler Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Steelers Hangover. I'm getting really tired of talking about all these hangovers from losses, but it's a back-to-back loss heading into the bye week. Some might say their Steelers are limping into the bye week after they lose to the Patriots. Yes, the Patriots. 27-16. I'm joined, as always, on the Steelers Hangover with Brian Anthony Davis. How's it going, Brian? Really good, Jeff. Uh, feeling a lot of perspective tonight. Yeah, perspective will be good. And if you want to call in, this is your chance. The show is based around you. It's based around the fans, based around your participation. So please call in the phone number to do so. It's 347-850-8581. Again, 347-850-8581. The phone lines are open now. You can call in at any time. Make your voice heard. Tell us what you think. Is it the end of the world? Is there still hope? We're going to give you our opinions, but we want yours to keep that in mind. And let me get things started off with, I I basically have seen a lot of people on social media, on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, they are extremely, I I, I almost want to use the word distraught. Um, The way that the Steelers have lost their last few games, getting embarrassed in Miami, and then really missing huge opportunities against the New England Patriots. I mean, they could have shocked the football world, and Landry Jones could have really cemented his, I hate to say legacy, but really could have cemented a solid history for Steelers. And think back to Charlie Batch. Everyone remembers that Baltimore game where he brought the team back and Heath Miller had that incredible diving touchdown with the football and the pylon. That's what he's most remembered for as a Steeler. Uh, Landry Jones could have done something like that, and unfortunately, I don't think it was his fault. Yes, everyone's going to point to the first quarter interception, and rightfully so. But at the same time, I think about this game, and I say, you know what? 
they had every opportunity to win and they let it slip through their fingers. That's what makes me upset is that this was a missed opportunity for the Steelers to somehow pull off an, a, a huge upset without Ben Roethlisberger, without Marcus Wheaton, uh, without Cameron Hayward, Sammy Coates, who's basically non-existent. Eli Rogers never even saw the field. Um, I could go on and on with the injuries that the Steelers are facing right now, and they almost won the game. Now, some, I would call them the pessimists of the Steeler Nation uh, fan club, would say, well, the Patriots played like crap. I'm not going to go that far. Yeah, they had a couple drops, but then again, there were some other issues going on on both sides. I'm not going to go ahead and just say that it's all the Patriots and not no credit to the Steelers. Brian, I'm curious to know what your thoughts were of the game. Did you see it as a missed opportunity, or did you see it as, well, this is kind of what we all expected anyways? You know, a little bit of both, Jeff. Um, First of all, you know, we expected a loss going in. But yesterday's game was a lot like a blind date. You go and think, yeah, I don't really expect too much to happen on this. You know, I'll probably go on a date. She'll be okay. It won't be that great. I'll go home cry myself to sleep watching a Wonder Years episode and uh, dreaming of a girl like Woody Cooper. But you know what happened? <laughs> it was like one of those blind dates where everything seems to be going well. And you're like, hey, what's happening here? I might be on to something. And the dates go to really good. You spring for a big dinner. Everything's going great. You're like, I might have a future. I might, with this girl, I might have a, another date. Next thing you know, she brings up her her boyfriend in the next state. You're like, what? And then you just paid for a steak dinner, and then you're going home, and you're still watching the Wonder Year. So you're, that's what happened yesterday. And as far as blame goes, I'm an equal opportunity blamer. There's so much blame to go around, and I'm ready to dish it out. That's, what I'm, that's how I'm feeling right, Jeff. Well, why not? Well, let's get right to it. Go ahead and dish out some blame. Who are you blaming for the Steelers' loss? In week seven. Okay. First of all, Jeff, you, you've known me for a while now. Coaches a lot? No. Not very often, no. But there were some big coaching errors yesterday, or maybe just poor decision-making. I tell my kids all the time, a seven- and a nine-year-old, I'm telling them, you have to make better decisions. Well, I'd like to tell Mike Tomlin, whoever decided to throw that red flag yesterday – Whoever was upstairs saying, hey, that's a good idea to throw that red flag on that play, that was a terrible idea. Everybody saw Phil Sims, who's the biggest idiot in the world, thought it was a bad idea. And I agree twice with Phil Sims yesterday, and that's the next decision I'm going to talk about. But first of all, you in, it's like you've given up a little bit in the first half when you're reviewing a play that's not, you have no chance. I have a better chance. To, to have a date with uh, Angelina Jolie, then they had a chance for that to be turned, turned around. It wasn't going to happen. You gave away a timeout, and, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, timeout's no big deal. We had three of them in the first half. Next thing you know, you're coming back. You're driving down the field. You have to settle for a field goal right at halftime because you gave away a timeout. So that was one bad decision. Another bad decision happened at the very beginning of the game. I don't understand why you're electing to receive is beyond me. I don't understand that. Every chance that team gets, they go ahead and they take the ball in the second half. Yesterday was a perfect opportunity for it. 
because they had momentum going into the second half. If you get the ball back, it's a whole different ball game possibly. You could start off, you just scored a field goal, you go in, second half, you get right back to it. But no, they're, they're giving the ball away. I don't know why. It's like overthinking. When we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. The last bad decision that I'm going to talk about tonight, Jeff, is simply why are you kicking a 54-yard field goal with a guy who has never even attempted a 54-yard field goal when you have a fourth and two? And I know I've heard some people say, well, if it was Ben Roethlisberger, they would have went with it. Well, you know what? You have momentum in your favor. If Landry Jones really, in this game, couldn't complete a fourth and two, then it's a problem. But you also have Le'Veon Bell. You have an opportunity to get that two yards to keep it going, possibly score, and get that game a whole lot closer in the fourth quarter with eight minutes left. And next thing you know, you get the ball back on a punt, but you have, you have to punt on your own 20-yard line at this point. So, I mean, that was just another bad decision. I didn't like the decision-making yesterday, so that's my first blame ball to go around. I have, I have more, but there was also some bright spots yesterday, and I'll get to them later on. Okay, so I, I kind of want to do a little rebuttal here for uh, for some of the things that you said, um, and, and it's just we're looking at things we're looking at things differently, and that this happens a lot actually between Brian and I. Um, we just view the game differently. Um, so you were complaining about the challenge, and I'm not disagreeing with that. It's a bad challenge. I think that Tomlin and maybe someone that was up in the booth said, you know what? In the NFL, no one really knows what a catch is anymore, and he didn't complete the catch necessarily. I mean, go back to 2014 when the Green Bay Packers win against the Dallas Cowboys and Des Bryant. I mean, you watch that play, and nine, nine, 10 out of 10 times, the random person said, yeah, the catch, and they ruled it incomplete. I think that Mike Tomlin might have just been hopeful that maybe it gets overturned. Unfortunately, it doesn't. My issue, though, is that it's always easy to say, well, it would have been nice to have that timeout. Yes, it would have been nice. And you can go back to the behindthesteelcurtain.com Twitter feed, which I control all the time, and even during games, um, I said, man, it's gonna be, I really wish we had that timeout. However, in that final drive at the end of the half, which resulted in a Chris Boswell field goal, the play that irked me the most wasn't the wishful thinking of having a timeout left. It was the screen pass to Darius Hayward Bay. It goes for a first down. He has the opportunity to get out of bounds to stop the clock. And this is a veteran, mind you. This isn't Eli Rogers in his second year. This isn't Kobe Hamilton, who has never really seen the field for a significant amount of time. This is a veteran who catches the ball, and instead of cutting outside to the sideline, he cuts inside to the middle of the field, and then they have to clock the ball. It takes more time off the clock, and it eventually ruins what could be a good scenario, even with two timeouts or at least one timeout left, going into the end zone. That frustrated me. Now, you brought up the coin toss. I do not disagree with the Steelers taking the football. Why? Because your defense is not your strong suit on this team. And some would say that your offense with Landry Jones isn't either, but your offense is still better. It's a better matchup. The Steelers' offense, even with Landry Jones, and I thought it was evident last night, or I'm sorry, yesterday, that they were able to move the ball on the, the New England Patriots' defense. I was never that impressed with the Patriots' defense. And I think that was proven with Landry Jones, the quarterback. You didn't – the last thing that the Steelers wanted to do was to 
get the ball or win the toss, kick the ball to New England, have Tom Brady drive down the field for seven minutes, and then score a touchdown. It would be completely deflating, and all of a sudden you're playing catch-up. The goal there, in my opinion, and why I said I think it's a good call to be taking the football, is I'm not looking at the second half. That's like in baseball, if you're following baseball, uh, you, kill, you keep your ace for game seven when game six is a do-or-die game. You don't do that. You have to go out and you have to try to get the lead. You have to try to give your defense a lead to play with. Now, what really sucked is that they went three and out, and that's not the way you want to start the game. But fortunately for the Steelers, Travis Jones makes a play on the first play from scrimmage from New England, causes a fumble, recovers his own fumble, and then that leads to the really killer interception by Landry Jones. Uh, and we were targeting Antonio Brown in the end zone. But, again, I don't question that the the not deferring to the second half. It's easy to say, well, you know what, we had all the momentum at the end of the half. It had been great to have the second half. You don't always know how it's going to play out. It could always be the other way around. Um, coaching was not good. I do think, I, I, if we're talking about coaching, I want to give Todd Haley a lot of praise. I thought that he played, he called a great game. He and um, Landry Jones and whoever was involved with that game plan Kudos to them. There was a great mix of run and pass. Le'Veon Bell got his 31 touches, I believe, or maybe 30 uh, total between receiving and rushing. Great play calling. And I agree with you on the fourth and two. The third and two, you figure if you have two plays, you can run Le'Veon Bell twice and probably get those yards. Um, I see, I hear Mike Tomlin's reasoning, and I understand his reasoning. I don't like the call, though, in the situation. His reasoning was, well, if we kick a field goal, we're within a score. They would have made it six points, um, and they were going to have to get that field goal anyways. I didn't like the situation. I didn't like where they were on the field. It's a tough call, but obviously we can't Monday morning quarterback everything. So that's my take on some of your rants there, Brian. Uh, but, you know, let's take the time now to tell people that are listening possibly live. You can call in be a part of the show. 347-850-8581. Again, 347-850-8581. Brian, before I take this caller, is there anything you got to say in regards to my rebuttal, or are you just going to hold keep your peace? You know what? Your your rebuttal has a lot of merit to it, and uh, you agreed with some of the things I said. I mean, you know, uh, Todd Haley called a good game. You are absolutely correct. Uh, the one blame game that I'll talk about later was the rush defense. Um, and that's something we can talk about later, too. That's something else I wanted to mention. But, now you're, you're right on. As far as the, uh, the opening kickoff, I was complaining about that before they even kicked off. When I saw them I mean, before the, the Patriots were lining up to kick off, I didn't like it when I saw it because that's just something that they don't usually do. And it's, once again, going against trying to outthink everybody and uh, it never working. And that's exactly the way I felt about that. So that's one part I think we'll agree to disagree on. But everything else, you know, I, I feel what you're saying. You have a lot of merit there. Yeah, all right. So let's get our first caller on the air. He's always our first caller. He's our Hall of Fame caller. We have Vito calling from New Jersey. How's it going, Vito? Gentlemen, good evening. How are you? Hey, Vito. Doing great. How are you? Good, good. I was watching the game with my brother-in-law yesterday, who's a Jet fan, and he had no idea that Ben Roethlisberger was even hurt. He couldn't believe it when we turned the game on. He says, no, Ben's not in this game. He says, oh, my God. He goes, if Ben was in this game, you guys would probably up by two TDs. So my question to you guys is, how different of a game do you think we would have had if Ben was in that game? Do you think the way New England was playing? I mean, they are vulnerable. You could see that. 
you could clearly see in Heinz Field, we definitely had some edges. We definitely we had a lot of intensity when we started that game. The defense really came out, and they were they were making some pretty good hits. And I think to be able to take the ball away from them two times and have great field position and come away with zero points was a huge turning point in the game. And I think if Ben's in that game, we'd probably come away with points both times. Now, I don't want to say Landry Jones was terrible because he really did hold his own. He did the best he could. I know he made mistakes. But I think the first mistake that everybody's going to point to is the throw into the end zone with Tony Brown being covered where Ben probably makes that back shoulder throw and puts it right in the spot where Oni Brown could catch it. And you know what? Worst case scenario, if he doesn't catch it, it's an incomplete pass and we live for another down or we get a field goal at worst. Um, that's my first thought. Second thought is it's amazing when you look at the statistics last night. We were in the red zone six times, and I think, what did we score, one out of six or two out of six? I'm, I'm trying to put this all together. But if we only would have came away with field goals most of the time, probably would only have been down by three at the end of that game. So, But I think the reason why the game was so close is because New England didn't play as well as New England could usually play. And you got to give credit to the defense because they did rattle him a few times. They were trying to pressure him as much as they could. I mean, for the most part, we held it close because I think we did a pretty good job. So I know a lot of guys are going to get upset and say they stink, they're not good, they're not this, they're not that. But, you know, you know what you got. you got a young team. They're going to keep growing. They're going to keep getting better. And remember, if you had a leadership veteran up there, Ben, i got to be honest with you, I think that game comes down to the wire near the end. Because, you know, usually he seems to play pretty much to the competition. Because if you remember when Andrew Luck came in last year to play against them, it's when he had the 6-TD day. So who knows what would have happened. But let me get your thoughts. Yeah, well, Vito, I'll go ahead and go first here. I mean, you asked the question that everyone's asking today, probably, whether it's out loud or to themselves, is what would this game look like if Ben Roethlisberger were behind center? And um, I think it would have had a completely different dynamic. Um, Landry Jones, I thought, played well. But what you saw, what you see Ben Roethlisberger do that Landry Jones doesn't is he has a full command of the offense. Um, He's able to check out of plays. He's able to check into specific plays. Um... Landry Jones' pre-snap reads were very simple, very basic, and he didn't do a lot of it. He kind of just stuck with the script, and I'm not blaming him for that. You know, you just want to do what's called and see what happens. Roethlisberger has a little bit more leeway in that area. But I think the biggest area that you would have seen the biggest difference, and you mentioned this, Vito, is in the red zone. Or not even the red zone. I I would consider the extended red zone to be 35 in. Uh, Because, really, when you get inside the 35, you're expected to put up points. And, unfortunately, there were too many times that the Steelers didn't put up points. Uh, the interception, missed field goals, really, really killed themselves. And that's where Ben Roethlisberger, I think he, he thrives. And if you look at the red zone numbers, unfortunately I don't have them in front of me. With Roethlisberger in it, they're one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL. Without him, clearly you saw not very good. They did score the one touchdown to Darius Hayward Bay and had a couple field goals, but ultimately – the uh, the Steelers struggled in the red zone, and that's Ben Roethlisberger's forte. So I think that's the biggest area that the Steelers miss Roethlisberger. But also, Roethlisberger throws the best deep ball in football. That was actually a Steelers or an ESPN Insider article where they picked, you know, which quarterback throws the best route. And when it came to uh, the deep ball, Ben Roethlisberger out of this table of experts and former players said they the, he throws the best deep ball. Landry Jones does not throw a good deep ball. He has a good 
intermediate to short-range passing game, but he just took a lot of checkdowns, and that's that, that's fine. Roethlisberger's not going to do that as much, but they definitely miss Roethlisberger. And the one thing I'm glad you mentioned, uh, Vito, is the, the youth on the team. Um, people would think about Ben Roethlisberger and James Harrison, and, and they think about guys that are, you know, veterans that are on the team. This is still a really young team. I mean, you look along uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Antonio Brown is a veteran, but you have guys like Sandy Coates, second-year player. Eli Rogers is a second-year player. William Bell is still on his rookie contract. Uh, defensively, they've got several rookies playing. Shazier is still young. Tewitt is still young. Um, they are a very young team, and so they're still gaining experience in a lot of different ways. And ultimately, it comes down to this is a week seven game. It's not a week 15 game. It's not a week 16 game. It's a week seven game. And so they go for the bye week. They have a lot of improvement to do, a lot of get just get healthy ultimately. But, Brian, what were your thoughts in terms of Ben Roethlisberger being in the game? Where do you think uh, the Steelers missing the most? Well, your point on the red zone was exactly correct. Going into this game, the Steelers only had six field goal attempts all year long. Um, Chris Boswell hit five of them. So yesterday, how many field goal attempts did they have? Uh, three field goal attempts. And so that is half the amount that they had in six games in one game. And that shows what Ben Roethlisberger is going to do for you. As far as Vito mentioned, the back shoulder fade, um, that's something Malcolm Butler of the Patriots, that is his biggest weakness. That He has the toughest time defending that, and that would have been nice to have. So the biggest, the biggest positive out of this game is a lot of people like me are thinking, boy, I'd love to see these guys again. Um, whether it be Foxborough, whether it be Heinz Field, I would love to see these guys one more time this season, apples to apples. Yesterday was apples to grapes, and we can't blame, we, we can't blame the injuries, but it, that wasn't the true Pittsburgh Steelers team on the field. But heroically in that game, it was Landry Jones, and he played with a lot of heart. And I don't give him a lot of credit. I'm giving him credit, but he just did not have the tools to uh, pull it off like Ben Roethlisberger did. But, well, I mean, you change a couple things, maybe he could have pulled off the, the miracle. But it just didn't happen. They missed Ben Roethlisberger big time, and just as much as they missed number seven, they missed number 97. Cam Hayward not being on that field meant so much to the outcome of that game because LeGarrette Blunt. I don't know how good he was yesterday. And that sounds crazy, me saying that, but the line was better than LeGarrette Blount because they weren't touching him. LeGarrette Blount's forte is the fact that he bounces off guys. No, he wasn't bouncing off anybody because nobody was touching him. That's where you missed Cam Hayward yesterday, too. So big, two big minuses yesterday, not having Ben, not having Cam. That's what I saw yesterday as far as the subtraction. And, uh, you know, like I said, I want to see him again. Yeah. Vito, got anything else for you, for us before we go? Well, I do, guys, and I think the uh, the nightmare is you guys know just as well as I know there's not many years left for Ben. I mean, what do we have, three or four more if we're lucky? I mean, eventually he's going to retire, and you know what? If we don't protect him and he keeps getting hurt like this, look, he could have a major injury like Geno Smith had yesterday. He was in there for a quarter and a half, and the guy had a 
What do you have, an MCI tear or something? He's out for the rest of the year. What if that would have happened to Ben? What do we do? Because now you lost him for the rest of the year. Do we stay with the backup? Who, who, what do we? So I think the biggest problem is we realize that it's going to be hard to get him to play a full 16-year season. It's very rare that it's going to happen again because of age and because, you know, these, these, these teams today, you know, a lot of these guys play with a chip on their shoulder. They're very mean. They're very aggressive. And they want to hurt the quarterback. And you could clearly see sometimes, just like you saw last week in the Miami game, they want to hurt the quarterback because they realize that the quarterback is a key piece in any matchup. So I think, you know, we also got to realize that three, four years from now, he's not here anymore. What do we do? Where does this team go? Yeah, and Vito, as always, thanks for the phone call. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, we're going to answer that question here. Um, I, I ultimately think that, you know, when you talk about Roethlisberger's years left, I think three or four is a legitimate goal. But unfortunately, the one thing that can always be predicted is that Roethlisberger is going to miss some time in a season. Whether it's hopefully, I guess you're going to miss time. It's it's a short-term variety, the one to two weeks, one to three weeks, four weeks at the max injury, which is what he sustained in 2015. It looks like what he sustained so far in 2016 uh, with the fact that reports are now stating that he should only miss about one to three games, or one to three weeks, I should say. Um, but it's time now, in my opinion, that the Steelers need to start thinking about the future. They need to start thinking about, okay, if Landry Jones isn't it, and I think we can all agree that he's not it in terms of he's the next quarterback, it's going to have to be in this upcoming draft. I don't see anyone out there that the Steelers could say, okay, we're going to target them in free agency, um, to be a big guy. Um, I don't think there's someone that's worth trading for that, you know, you would sell some of the proverbial farm for. Um, it, it's a definitely a very risky gamble that they have. Zach Mettenberger might be the guy to fill in for the time being, but it is time that they start targeting that position possibly in the upcoming draft. Brian, what are your thoughts? How many years do you think Roethlisberger has left? If you ask Ben Roethlisberger, he won't tell you, but uh, my bet is he wants to play until he's 40. I could see him playing for as long as he possibly can. Uh, a guy like Tom Brady is going to play until he, uh, until 45. I can actually bet on that because uh, he doesn't get touched. The problem with Ben is the, exactly what you said. He gets touched. He gets beat up all the time. You definitely have to spend some money next year. Um, in the draft, you know, second round at least, you need to start looking in the second round. Um, I'm still thinking, like we talked about this last week uh, on this show and on Factor Fiction, um, linebacker, pass rusher in the first round right now at this point seems to be a must. And uh, in the second round, I'm thinking quarterback. But also in free agency, yeah, there's not a lot out there. There's not a future heir to Ben Roethlisberger. But next year, I'm looking for a Ryan Fitzpatrick type of guy. Um, he wasn't going to be available this year because of the situation. A guy like that's going to be available next year. Now, he's not a savior to the team at all, but he's a guy, a player like that, that um, much like Charlie Batch, who was a starter in his previous, with his previous team when he was playing for Detroit, um, if you could find a veteran starter that has been demoted that is looking for a new opportunity to back up Ben that you know that you can get, uh, that you can feel good about having him in, in uh, situations for maybe uh, three to four games possibly and uh, get a split out of it. 
Yeah, you know, I would look at a guy like that. That's not going to come this year, but that's something they're going to have to do next year. Um, and the, they've done it in the past. I mean, when they brought in a guy like Mike Tomzak, you know, you, you never wanted to see the quarterback go down, but when you had a guy like Tomzak, whose birthday is today, by the way, um, you just knew that he was going to be okay. You knew that Tomzak was going to come in and have a half-decent game, a good game, give you a very good chance to win. And uh, and rally around the rest of the team. So I'm I'm thinking that's where they need to go. Ben, I I mean four years is legitimate. I think he's going to try to go as long as he possibly can. But it's a question of if he can, Jeff. Yeah, and I'll go and throw another name at you that the Steelers, you know, that they found someone that actually turned out to be a viable starting option for them eventually, and that was Tommy Maddox. Um, those people yeah. look back on the, the Tommy Gunn era and they laugh and, and all that. But there was a time when, you know, he had that team playing well and he kind of was a shot in the arm and he came off the bench and for Cordell Stewart and obviously took over the starting job eventually uh, until Roethlisberger took over in 2004 when he got hurt in Baltimore. But a player like that, I would totally understand, Brian, if, if they were to say, okay, Landry Jones is gone after this year, um, we don't know who else is going to be there. Maybe Zach Mettenberger could be that guy if he wants to stay. I still think they need to try to target a, a quarterback in the draft at some point to possibly be, okay, he's going to maybe start as the third string. He's going to learn. He might be uh, active on the roster but inactive almost every week and then actually learn the system. Maybe this guy has a lot of potential is what I'm thinking. Uh, so um, I know a lot of fans might listen and say, I can't believe he just mentioned Tommy Maddox. But there was a time where Tommy Maddox had this team playing well. Um, I could talk about Tommy Maddox. Well, yeah, he got into the playoffs. He won playoff games. Who can forget the legendary Tommy Maddox, Kelly Holcomb, Cleveland Browns playoff game where Chris Umatu Mafala was on the draw play at the goal line in the snow at Heinz Field to come back win. That was incredible. Um and while we're talking about this, Brian, and we can get off on tangents, it happens all the time when we see one another. Um, when, you ask, when you think of Tommy Maddox, think about this while I say what I think. If, if there's one game that comes to mind, what is it? Is it the snow game for me? I don't know why, but it always is the Michael Vick, Tommy Maddox, Falcons versus Steelers, Heinz Field tie game. And maybe it's because the Seahawks and Cardinals tied on Sunday Night Football and that kind of brought that back up, and for some reason, that's the game I always think of when I think of Tommy Maddox. It was a back-and-forth affair, and I'll never forget, in the waning minutes of overtime, Maddox, he's it deep. Plexico Burris jumps up, he catches the football and lands with the football outside the goal line. His body's in, but the ball's out, and game ends in a tie. I, it was just insane. It was a crazy game. Michael Vick ran all over him. What, what is your uh, – what's Tommy Maddox? What's your Tommy Maddox memory? Well, you know what? You probably had a better view of that play because I was actually in the stands for that game, Jeff. Um, (laughs) I will never – that was 2002, uh, November 3rd of 2002, I believe. And I was was at that game, and uh, I remember Michael Vick converted two third and 18s with his legs against the Pittsburgh defense, which was a very good Pittsburgh defense at the time. Um, I'm a big – Tommy Maddox fan. Um, pretty much, I'm going to say that uh, my my best Tommy Maddox memory was Week Three against Cleveland when he came in and they were losing 
They were losing to the Browns. They uh, he replaced he replaced uh, Cordell Stewart. I believe they were down about ten points with about three minutes to go, and he won the game with two touchdown passes. Um, I cannot remember who the touchdown passes were. I believe Hines was one of them. But uh, from then on, I was like, wow, they actually have a chance because they were zero two there. And next, you know, they're one and two. They lost the next game to New Orleans, one and three. Next thing you know, he just takes them on a roll. It was a magical season that year, which was actually cut short in the playoffs by a very bogus call um, on a, uh, roughing roughing the uh, the kicker on a field goal when Dwayne Washington um, hit the yep. hit the tennis kicker. And Nedney even said, you know, I should get an Academy Award for that one. He even said that after the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he admitted he flopped. And, you know, he's like, you have the right to flop in that situation. I mean, but uh, yeah, that, I remember uh, Tommy Maddox so well. In fact, uh, this isn't going to surprise you, Jeff, because you know me by now. I have a Tommy Maddox jersey. Oh, no, I'm not surprised. I really am not. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that playoff game that you mentioned against the Titans if you recall, Bill Cowher was fuming because that was the same playoffs. They had just come off the Cleveland win in the snow. Kelly Holcomb threw for over 400 yards on him, um, and they win the game. It was on a Sunday, and the NFL scheduled them in Tennessee on a Saturday, and he was yep. pissed. He was very public about it. He said, this is ridiculous that we're playing on a Sunday and having to travel on a Saturday. You're giving us a short week, and – the one thing I miss, and this will be the last that we talk about Tommy Maddox. I know a lot of we've got a caller on hold here. We're going to get to you in a second. Um, I love talking about the, the older days where even pre-Ben Roethlisberger, even Cordell Stewart era, um, that was a magical time for me because, in my opinion, the Steelers didn't have the heavy expectations on them that they do now. Um, anymore, the Steelers fan base has become, it, it's so Super Bowl or bust, that every loss is magnified to the umpteenth degree, and every victory is kind of just taken with a grain of salt. But back in those days when you didn't really know, okay, who's the quarterback and, and this quarterback of Tommy Magnus, who is he, what does he bring to the table, it was just a special time. And maybe it's because I was a lot younger at the time and I just enjoyed watching him. Um, it wasn't so much a job as it is now. Uh, it was just a fun time to watch the Steelers. The team was having fun, and um, – Maybe we can get back to that this season. I hope after the bye week they can get on a run. But I hope fans, if you if you were alive for that time, I hope you all. Brian, do you feel that? Like, do you understand what I'm talking about when I say that? Yeah, because I mentioned it too, it being a special time because it was a team that banded together, and that's something we have yet to see from this team yet. And they have the capability of doing it, uh, doing it. They have the leaders, but it's a team that they they are rallied around Tommy Maddox. And he actually went out for a couple games, actually against Tennessee in the middle of the season, and he got a concussion. That people thought he was dead at one <laughs> during that game because it was, they were everybody was around him. It looked really grim at one point because he was just laying on the turf. But he came back. Um, he came back not too long after that, and I mean, he, I think he missed one game, and he came right back, and the team just played as a unit and. That's just not what we're we're seeing. We're not. This team has heart, but it's not displaying the heart that they showed back in 2002. I'd like to see that come back, but I still think at four and three, I I keep on saying that there's still some destiny to this team. 
They just need to bring more heart out, and I think we're going to see it. Um, one last thing about Tommy Maddox. After that magical season, I saw him in the Pittsburgh airport. And I was, uh, we were going through security, and security was tight because it was, right, it was not too far after uh, September 11th. And you could tell that Tommy was in just for like a mini camp or um, team meetings with the team because it was in May of 2003, I believe. And uh, he, was, he was dressed uh, for golf wear. And uh, my buddies are like, hey, that's Tommy Maddox. I'm like, yeah. They're like, hey, should we yell to him? I'm like, no, let's, let's, let's not bug him. But uh, we're going through, and I'm like, you know what? I will say something. So I just yelled over, like, Tommy, we love you in Pittsburgh. And I kept walking. Next thing you know, he makes a beeline to us just to shake our hands and ask our name. And uh, we didn't ask him for anything. We didn't ask him for an autograph. We didn't, we didn't want anything. But he just wanted to say hello and thank you and how much he appreciates playing in Pittsburgh. That's the kind of guy he was. And that, that kind of carried over to the field. Um, super nice guy. You know, fast forward to uh, 2016. Landry Jones reminds me of Tommy Maddox in demeanor, just a nice Midwestern guy, someone that you could rally around. I mean, you can't leave yesterday's game without liking Landry Jones. I mean, he's very likable as a person. Um, He's just not what we know from Ben Roethlisberger. He doesn't have the ability of Ben Roethlisberger, and uh, he's just not there yet, but he hasn't played a whole heck of a lot of games either. And Tommy Maddox had a huge resume ahead of him. I mean, I mean, to back him up yeah. way back then. Yeah, and so um, what you talk about on the Steelers hangover when your team has lost two games in a row, you talk about Tommy Maddox. But uh, let's, <laughs> we digress, and let's get to this call. It's been waiting patiently, 347-605-7473. You're on with Jeff and Brian. I apologize about the Tommy Maddox talk. We got off on a tangent. Go ahead. <laughs> What's up, guys? This is Ken from New Jersey. Um, What's going on, man? You you guys are killing me with this Tommy Maddox stuff. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know know what? It it was an exciting year. Um, I never really bought into Tommy um, because I I knew just this – I knew it was a short shelf life, and I just knew he was going to get injured. He was very frail. Uh, I was a a bigger Cordell fan also, even though, you know, Tommy was better for the offense, but – that that playoff that's one of the the hardest playoff losses that I've suffered as a fan. I'm only 32, but uh, I just listening to you talking about it. I think I punched a hole in my basement wall. I, I was so mad. <laughs> I was, you know, 2002. I must have been eight, 18. I think. So, oh man, it was horrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, for for this game yesterday, um, just kind of a day later. So it's it's obvious what what the team is missing. We're missing the field general um, on both sides of the football. Cam Hayward on the defense and Ben on the offense. Um, I think the game plan wasn't. I think the game plan the game plan was actually pretty good. You know there was some some individual calls, a lot of stupid careless penalties. Um, you know you can question some clock management in different situations, and you know you could put that on the coaching. But for the most part, I think they put the team in position to be successful. You can't go into any game missing a couple field goals, having points taken off the board by you know a shaky holding call, and just little things like that. But in the flow of the game, when things are kind of getting out of you know out of control, and there's penalties. Ben is the one who claps it up. Come on, guys. You know, he's just there vocal and just to get people back to 
kind of the emotional home base, and Landry is not that. It's not in his character, and he doesn't. I don't think he has that emotional rapport that Ben has with all of the players, especially you know just on the offense. But Ben has rituals he does with you know with James Harrison pregame, you know things like that. So he's in tune with all throughout the whole team, and that's absolutely missing. Cam Hayward is is a bully on the field, and his his presence is missing too. So I think it was it was mixed. I I, I expected to win the game yesterday. It, I really did. I said, you know what? Why not? They can they can go and you know if they can play almost mistake free football and have a game like you know New England's capable of doing it. Other teams are capable of having maybe two penalties. They can come out with a victory in this thing. They got to get up on them early, and I just knew once Jarvis ripped that football out in that first drive, I said, oh, whoa, okay, all right, now now we're getting somewhere. So they're capable of doing it, but it was just it was too sporadic. Um, they couldn't do it consistently. There was a flashes here, flashes there, but they need the steady just pound and pound and pound, and they they don't have the ability to do that right now, maybe because they are, you know, they are a young team, inexperienced, and still learning how to play together. But if the, I think from the coaching perspective, if Ben and Cam, if they're not on the field as players to provide that emotional stability, the coaches need to insert themselves, and Tomlin needs to know which buttons to push. Have Joey Porter do this. Have you know Jerry Alsowski do this. Uh, you know there, there needs to be more from. The, it can't just be the standard. Is the standard when everything when when you got your key guys out. So what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I'll go ahead and say right at the bat, uh, you know, a lot of teams, when they give out captains, uh, it's just kind of like a formality. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that player is the true leader, is an actual captain. I think the Steelers are one of the few teams that actually honor that word. And you can look, in my opinion, strongly at the fact that Roethlisberger has not been a captain that long. And he has not always been known for his leadership skills. Now, any other team, or I should say other teams that don't value it as much, would have seen, okay, it's our franchise quarterback. He's obviously the offensive leader. Um, we're going to give him the captain. The Steelers never did. If you remember, Roethlisberger has not been a captain that long, but he is now. Cam Hayward is the defensive captain. And in my opinion, what the team missed, you mentioned all the things about Roethlisberger. He is that field general. He is the, he's the guy that's going to keep them never too high, never too low. Um, he's going to put them in position to succeed. And like you said, Landry Jones, that's not his fault. He doesn't have the experience to do that, not at this point, and hopefully not ever because that means Roethlisberger's healthy. The defensive side, Cam Hayward is the one that obviously is getting guys. He's holding people accountable. How does he do this? Did anyone notice today he told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and other media outlets over there in the locker room that he thought the team quit, and he said it was ridiculous, and he was very vocal about how poor the defense has been playing, and he's not even on the field. Now, some people hear that and say, man, this guy's not even playing, and he's criticizing these guys that are out on the field giving it their all. Well, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing because if he can't get out there, he's at least going to try to do his job for holding players accountable and I think that's really important. And like you said, that's missed. And that's the part of the game, leadership, uh, commanding respect, that is is an intangible when it comes to the captain 
the leadership, the leaders of the team. So uh, that's a really good point. Brian, what do you think about that? Well, you know what? Without Cam Hayward, actually with Cam Hayward, Chayadai doesn't go uh, for 204 yards. LeGarrette Blunt doesn't run all over them. Like I said, where LeGarrette Blunt is so good, I mentioned it earlier in the show, is the fact he breaks tackles. He didn't have to break any tackles yesterday because the line was just blowing that defensive line off the ball. If Cam Hayward's in that game, they're not blowing anybody off the ball. Those things happened. Those, those two performances that uh, just completely rocked the Steelers' defense to their core was without number 97 on the field. He is a huge leader on that team, and he is the one guy that always makes them stay accountable as far as the defense. And when he's not out there, they lose a whole lot, just like they lose a whole lot with Ben Roethlisberger. Right now, he has, he has morphed into a leader. Everything you said, Jeff, was absolutely correct. Ken, I agree with you, too. Um, they were missing the leadership on the field. Um, I thought I also agree with you, Ken, on the game plan. I thought the game plan was good. I just thought uh, some of the decisions um, when the game plan needed to change or was starting to change, the uh, the, the on-the-spot decisions were a little shaky. So uh, that's my big complaint. But when your leaders are in hoodies and they're in sweatshirts and they're holding clipboards and they're not in the game, you're losing so much. But with that being said, if those guys are on the field in, this, in January against this very same team, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers' chances at that point. I, I really do. And the silver lining in this loss to me is the fact that you have a chance to remember this loss and remember this feeling. And a lot of times, the, uh, the team that wins in the regular season does not win a lot of times against that very same team in the postseason. We saw it last year with uh, Pittsburgh and Denver. Um, one of the, I was so excited when they beat Denver last year, but I was thinking at the same t- time, meet them in the playoffs, it's going to be an awful tough team to beat twice. And uh, I, I know it happens, but I just like the chances of this team at full strength against this Patriot team. And um, like Jeff said earlier in the show, it's only week seven. But if it's uh, week two or week three of the postseason, it's going to be a different story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Can you got anything I, else for it? Yeah, I, just, I think it's important. You know, it is just week seven. You know, we all wanted to beat the Patriots very badly. And, you know, we could still – you know, not get the one, but we can get the two and still get the buy. I think the buy is more important than just being the one seed because we need that week to just recover <laughs> just from injuries. Um, so, you know, we're, we're just moving forward, we're going to get a lot of people back, and I'd like to see how we respond against our arch rivals, the Ravens, just to tell us a lot about who this team is. And, you know, just watching this team, I feel like I know who Mike Tomlin is by watching the way this team plays. Coach, the coach's personality shows up within these teams. And um, I just, just, the more I watch, I just feel like, you know, very emotional team that it gets high, you know, and steps up for, for big opportunities. And, you know, I don't know, there's just something about it. That I, just, I feel like I, I know his personality. Outside of um, I don't know, I don't even know what that means, but there's something I've been um, kind of watching. 
But uh, hopefully, second half of the season, we come out and we get on the run. Thanks, Davis. Absolutely. Thanks for the phone call. We appreciate it. Okay, so, you know, he brought up a good point. I mean, you watch the Steelers, and you kind of do get a vibe from Mike Tomlin, and, and you get a feel for him as a coach and as a leader. And um, he does. He's a great motivator. He is a phenomenal motivator. There's no questioning the fact that the players like him, that the players want to play for him, and that he can get his team prepared for a big game. Any other coach in the league was in the situation that he was on Sunday in Week 7 with the Patriots that come into town with backup quarterback and backups all across their roster. It could have gotten real ugly real quick. But Mike Tomlin is a guy that gets his team prepared it makes you wonder, it makes you scratch your head even more about, well, what the heck's going on in these games like against Miami? Or you think back into the past with the, the Michael Vick game against the Jets and uh, the Mike Lennon game in Tampa Bay and uh, the Oakland Raiders games with Terrell Pryor and Bruce Gradkowski and all those games that I would love to forget. I wish I could, but I can't. Um, it just makes you scratch your head. But um, I'll take the time now to – say that uh, you can call. The phone lines are open, 347-850-8581. Again, 347-850-8581. Brian and I will gladly talk about past duo quarterbacks like Tommy Maddox and Mike Tomzak until we're blue in the face. But if you'd rather talk about something else, if you want to talk about Tommy Maddox, you can. But you can call in. Again, it's 347-850-8581. Um, a lot of good points from our callers today. I really appreciate those few that have called in. I know a lot of people might be down on this team, but uh, I, I think that this is a good time, Brian. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, and I, I'm going to give you a couple of those. Um, that I'm thinking. I already said it's only week seven. Uh, clearly, there's going to be some injuries that are going to be rectified here, and a lot of people are talking about, you know, ah, Ken brought it up. Uh, everyone's thinking it, but they, can, they probably just lost the number one seed. Okay, and, and yeah, that that could be true. That really could be true. But you know, my or Bill Belichick said something before this game that he normally doesn't. They asked him about injuries, and he said, "Well, you know, we're a healthy team right now." Steelers couldn't say that, even if they were trying to be like a, an NHL team and lie straight to your face. There's no way they're not a healthy team in any stretch of the imagination on offense or on defense. Who's to say that by the end of the season the the card isn't flipped? and that the Steelers are the healthy team, and the Patriots, if they play them again, are banged up. You know, they, they, not be, they might not be missing Tom Brady, but Rob Gronkowski has missed significant time in the past. Julian Edelman, um, they've had some injury problems on their, in their team in the past, and they could all obviously get that bug. But like Ken said, the number two seed is still really, really attractive. But what does it mean? It means you get a first-round bye, and that's going to be absolutely monstrous for the Steelers. If they can somehow get a first-round bye, they would really be helping their case. Think back to the last two years, 2014 and 2015. If they could have just had one more week, especially last season, you would have had Antonio Brown back. D'Angelo Williams possibly could have played. Roethlisberger would have been healthier. Um, It really would have given them a better chance to succeed. Um, But still, uh, it didn't happen. So there's still a lot to play for. There really is. That that number two season would be huge. And, um, it's just week seven. I keep on saying it over and over again. So, Brian, you said you had a couple more, um, you had a couple more issues to deal with in terms of maybe things you're pissed off about or whatnot. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and say those now. 
<laughs> well, uh, uh, once again, to back up your point from earlier on the reason you need to call in, because I'm all ready to go through the life and times of Bubby Brister if you don't call in. Because I, mean, I can do that. I, I can definitely uh, tell you about Walter Bubby Brister um, from uh, Louisiana if you want. But uh, you know what? There is, there's some blame to go around. Um, I don't. You mentioned it earlier. Don't know why we didn't see Eli Rogers in that game whatsoever. Um, that that confused me quite a bit. Um, you know, that would have been a guy in there that that could have actually helped the cause because at at one point you really only had two healthy receivers at the end of that game, and that was Hamilton and Hayward Bay because nobody was nobody was around. Those were the only healthy guys because Antonio was, was beat up. And, you know, we didn't even talk about – we hardly talked about Antonio Brown. He really stepped up yesterday. So if I'm going to actually give a laurel to somebody, um, in the absence of Ben Roethlisberger, the stat that I thought was very interesting was the fact that he has never cut a touchdown pass from any other quarterback than Ben Roethlisberger. He didn't catch one yesterday. He's had an opportunity. Wasn't his fault. That was just a poorly thrown ball um, in the in the first quarter. But uh, he had a monstrous game, and he came back and did his best to play in that game after being injured. You could tell he was in a lot of pain. Um, seems like he's going to be fine. But uh, I thought he was quite heroic and really tried to be a leader for that team yesterday. Um, but we we know who the true leader is now at this point on both sides of the ball. Um, as as far as Blaine goes, I really thought the defensive line, and I, I've mentioned this a few times, they just got completely blown off the ball, and and just they, they looked poor. And uh, we now know the reason. You do have a stud on that line, but Stewart can't do it all by himself. The offensive line, you know what? They they did all right protecting Landry Jones. They, they weren't giving up sacks, but it seems like Villanueva every game is going to have a false start or a hold, something like that in in a position that's going to put you back. There's a lot of times for those false starts, you had a lot of first and 15, a, a lot of a 15 to go in that game just because of just dumb penalties. And a lot of them were by that offensive line. Um, we did mention Chris Hubbard. He did get victimized in that game a little bit. I know I know he's uh, stepped up quite well. Um, I will actually go the other route and say, you know, if he doesn't make that hold, um, if he doesn't, even though it was a questionable hold, but if he doesn't hold, I believe it was Chris Long on that play, um, Landry Jones is missing a head today because he was going to get clocked. And that was not going to be a touchdown. That would have not been a touchdown pass anyway um, if he doesn't commit that penalty. That's just in my opinion also. But as far as everything goes, had our hopes up at one point in that game. It actually was starting to feel pretty good, and then it fell apart. And one of the reasons that it fell apart is because of good coaching on the Patriots' side. They did something that I thought was very interesting that we did not bring up yet. It's they, they just made you forget about Gronk in the first half and then unleashed him, and they did that by design. 
nobody was really shutting down Gronk. They just wanted you to feel this false security that he was going to be a non-factor and then just let him loose. And he's the one guy that's going to kill you every time. Um, I would actually say that Rob Gronkowski is the greatest stealer foe of all time. I have never seen one player dominate my team in a manner that this guy has with nine touchdowns in five games and uh, close to 500 yards, averaging about 100 yards in every single game. That guy is just stealer kryptonite. And uh, that was one of the reasons. I know they may have shut him down. I guess with quotation marks, we could say they shut him down in the first half. But really, I don't think he was unleashed at, at all. But the defense did, did, they did some hitting. And they, uh, that was just not dropping the ball the whole time. They were actually putting some licks on those guys. And uh, that was something nice to see, too. So there's plenty of silver linings here. There's blame to go around, but it was still grapes to apples in this situation. This is, was not the true Pittsburgh Steelers team. They just couldn't be because this was a junior varsity team yesterday. They just everybody was seemed to be missing, and uh, I want to see an equal strength game between two teams. And if that happens, it's probably going to be two of the best teams in the league when you're talking full strength, Jeff. Absolutely, and that's, I think that's a great way to end the show. Um, didn't have any callers tonight, and that's expected. And the Steelers are down. They're going into the bye week. Great time for me to mention uh, a couple of programming notes. Since there's no game next week, there will not be a Steelers hangover next week. This week, there's no standard as a standard on Wednesday. There's no game to preview. Lance and I will be back next Wednesday as we preview the Steelers' Week 9 game against the Ravens, so kind of swapping out shows there for the, the bye week. Um, Brian, what's your schedule for the, the Fact or Fiction show? Do you have that yet? There will be a Fact or Fiction tomorrow night, and I believe it is going to be at 8 p.m., but uh, please tune in. Actually, please check behind the still curtain for uh, not only that news on the programming note, but everything you need as far as Pittsburgh Steelers news. It is the most comprehensive Pittsburgh Steelers website around, so make sure you check that out. Um, but uh, Zach and I will have a show tomorrow night. Um, we will not be having one the following week, um, but we will be discussing more of the uh, Steelers and Patriots in tomorrow's game, uh, tomorrow's show. Sounds good. And uh, as always, like Brian said, check out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for all your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. For Brian, I'm Jeff. We'll see you next time on the Steelers Hangover. Bye. Good night. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>